My conversation today is with composer, author, and translator Corey C. Childs. Aside from composing music and creating and curating spaces and dialogues through social media and digital platforms, Corey is a systems creator, pioneering modes of esoteric composition and analysis of ancient texts. I was delighted to find out that Corey's recently self-published book, A Little Orphic Initiation, grew out of this conversation, and ultimately, of course, Corey's depth of work within the Orphic textual traditions. It was a pleasure getting to know Corey through this candid and highly interesting conversation. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. As a preview of Corey's style of musical composition, we'll be listening to a piece entitled The Evocation of the Sun. This piece is designed to aid in the practice of planetary magic, and is the second opus from the larger work entitled Wandering Rondos of the Spheres. You can find links to Corey's digital and musical platforms in the About section of this episode. Thank you. 
how did when and how did you get into into music and and what is primarily your your principal instrument i'm interested to know if that also if if magic was before after during how did those things meet okay so um magic and music for me um really met i would say in my late teens growing up um my family wasn't especially religious so i wasn't really either um i started out singing i i love singing and i picked up electric bass as well because i loved rush at the time and thought getty getty lee was awesome um in my in my late teens i started going through i guess a a spirituality phase but it was <clears throat> i admit a little new agey um you know buying yoga and astrology books from the uh, books a million stuff like that but the music i was writing at the time the focus became more and more on this sort of um what we were, we were talking about the other day um, an ecstatic experience this uh kind of being so um overwhelmed uh so moved that i um kind of lift up out of myself i transcend my body but i unite with the cosmos and a general purpose that was that was what i was listening to music for and that's what i was making music for um then I found Nietzsche and um, yeah, uh, I kind of adopted his resentment towards traditional religions, you know, the, the poison mixers and despisers of life. Um, and I tossed all the spirituality stuff like out the window. Um, my music went in a direction that was much more functional. It was focused on um, psychological health, um, focused on educating people like helping people uh, live well um, rather than this ecstatic experience. Um, after that, I started going to, uh, to college for music composition and I was in the choir and there was a whole lot of, um, there was a whole lot of uh, Christian influence. We played in churches and, uh, you know, it was like these, these people aren't really like Nietzsche told me they were. Some of these people were, were really loving and just the culture was tremendous. Like these, these cathedrals, um, all, all the music they had, um, but I was still struggling with things. I, I wrote a piece um, called His Holy Empire, where a damsel in distress starves to death waiting for God to come save her. So I was still obviously having some issues, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that summer I, um, I, was, I was hanging out by myself and I decided to take some LSD and i reflected um especially on the existentialism that i was espousing at the time and it seemed kind of lame um the idea that we're we're all just monkeys jerking off on a rock until the sun explodes and you know we can make it nice you know like that just wasn't really holding holding water so i guess you could say i had an existential crisis and this I guess was my first intentionally magical act. I, um, I reached out at the time. I just had this idea of, of God. Um, you know, I hadn't really started playing around with stuff much, but I reached out to God and I said, God, if you are real, if, if this matters, if being alive matters, uh, give me a mission and I will celebrate you. The very next day I came up with, um, just like suddenly came up with a large group of, um, interconnected opuses where uh, they make a kind of journey that's supposed to elicit um, a spiritual awakening in a person. Um, and my, my whole paradigm shifted immediately. Um, I started 
listening, like listening, like for a guide, like I had a guide um, mm -hmm. and I was just, just following it. One thing I would do was I would go into um, the library and I would just go in a random direction wherever I was compelled to. And I would stop where I was compelled to. And I would be met with a book that was relevant to, to my task. Um, and at the time I was getting really excited about mythology. Uh, there were a lot of interesting, um, a lot of interesting structures and I was trying to apply those in the art. Um, so uh, everything, I guess, got a little too difficult. I was trying to create uh, my own universe. I wanted to tell the story of humanity and culture. Um, and the patterns and myths were becoming too much. Keeping track of all my projects were, were coming too much. Um, and one day I had stayed up entirely too long and I decided to go to the local theological seminary. Um, I used to haunt their parking lot, like in the middle of the night, I would just go there and sing and come up with stuff. Um, and I went there, um, intending to, uh, to pick a fight with a priest <laughs> about, about whether or not, um, or to basically convince me to, uh, to keep doing this. Um, and I walk in this library, I'm barefoot, uh, probably dirty I, I probably look terrible um and i remembered i had been in that library 12 years before i ran away from home also barefoot i can i can completely forgotten that um but i remember reading genesis 1 um as a kid and so i'm in this library and i do the thing i normally do in libraries which is just go in a random direction and i am brought immediately to a book titled corey's ancient fragments it is spelled <laughs> it is spelled c-o-r-y um and when i open it this is it's crazy it's all this um all these alternative um cosmogenies it's got orphic fragments it's got on um, the chaldean oracles it's got proclus iamblichus it's got old phoenician and chaldean cosmogenies this thing just wrecked me um you know i it that was that was my sign like I've, I've got it i've got my mission like thank you um so so since then I, I would say that my life has been um completely completely magical in that i um i have a sort of divine task that everything is is oriented around and i'm constantly met with the means to um accomplish this task that is a wonderful story i love that um there's so many uh important points in there you know um the the you know one of the most interesting things to me is is your you know your involvement in the choir and kind of realizing like oh you know the reality of a situation that i am i'm physically meeting and experience experiencing isn't natural isn't na necessarily matching up to the things i have read or have been told about it which is super important um and because especially now you know we have a tendency to base a lot of our interaction or lack thereof with certain groups or people and things like that based off of these a priori assumptions or just allowing i you know whatever it is my corner of the social of social media or whatever you know uh media i'm consuming to to dictate to me what these people are and and what they're about and the reality situation is like we're human beings right we're we're there's going to be shitty people in literally every <laughs> sector of the of the fucking universe to be honest with you so uh it's just about you can't paint everybody with a single brush and and i think that that's a beautiful thing to actually experience particularly 
particularly within the setting of a of a choir and things like that. But another really interesting thing to me is that you had almost this moment and Dion fortune kind of writes about it in her fiction where like these characters are just kind of searching for meaning and wandering around in, in her novels, uh, you know, wandering around in the, in the, the courtyard of the, the London museum. And they just, sh you know, shouting, screaming to the night air, you know, for something. And that's the vibe I get when you tell me that you were standing in the parking lot, wanting to pick a fight with, with a priest that, that like, fiery intentionality where you're literally screaming to god just you know show me you know and uh and he and really god will always answer you know because i've had i've had similar situations as well so i that's a fantastic story man that's something um if you ever write a book one day that'd be really good <laughs> I've, I've, i i definitely have some uh some ideas with it yeah that's it was um it was it was kind of a horrifying and slightly traumatic experience, but it's a damn good origin story. That's a uh, mm. that's for sure. <laughs> yes, and it, it makes for a damn good podcast episode. <laughs> so, I do what I can. I do what I can. So, so um, that's really interesting. But obviously, uh, you you know, we've listened to a piece of your music this morning, um, and uh, I was wondering if you'd want to speak to that or or talk about that at all. Uh, now that we've kind of fleshed out a little bit of your origin story. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to. Um, I, I guess before diving into the music, it's probably uh, helpful to um, explore the, um, the, the musical uh, materials that I consecrated uh, for the project. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing I, I notice a lot, you know, everybody, all of us in the magical community, we need, um, I don't know. Do, do people? Is that what people call materia? Just anything you used to do magic? I just say material. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I like some people would. I guess the more formal word would be like implements, but they're not always implements. Like I, if you're using, I kind of was at a period at a certain time too where I was a little new agey. I mean, I still am, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, like this, I wouldn't consider this an implement, but I do. I do ritual with this, so yeah, material. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and a lot of these materials are are consecrated to the planets. The the planets seem to be kind of the main things that people are are operating with uh, in the community and throughout history. Um, but the the thing is, a lot of us are really poor, and being able to afford all these materials is difficult. Um, so the nice thing about sound is it's mostly free. Um, you you have a voice so you can make notes you have a body you can hit so you can make rhythms it's you can just do it uh, so looking back I saw that there had there were there were some musical correspondences with the planets um the uh, the vowels for example um we, we've seen those um in the 1400s, there was a music theorist who associated the seven uh, diatonic modes with the planets, but I, I couldn't find much beyond that. So I figured I would make some new correspondences because the way the way I see this is I, I don't think um, before the, the cosmos unfurled, the one was like, and frankincense will be connected to this, you know, like somebody at some point thought that was a good idea and they established it and uh, you know maybe with divine aid um um or maybe not and it still has divine impact um so 
so yeah, so I have a, a kind of, of cavalier and, and self-empowered approach to, uh, to magical correspondences. If somebody could do it, I can do it, and so could you. Um, so I, I went through and just associated uh, as, as many things as I could see that were relevant to each planet. Um, I associated pitch sets, um, which are things from pitch set theories, which is um, they're alternative ways of, um, of naming chords, I suppose. Um, I associated all the possible triads and tetrads evenly throughout the planets. I associated um, rhythms, meters, um, intervals, pitches. Well, pitches, that's another old one that was already there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I went through and tried to make a sort of um, planetary music grimoire uh, that, that people could use. And uh, I've had people ask how I how I go about the consecration process, like how I know when it's good. And for me, it's um, I don't know how other people interact with um, divinities. I get kind of like an image and and a feeling. I get like a character uh, that shows up, and I know when I've like it's like okay, this is going to be um, these are going to be Mars's pitch sets. When I when I found the right ones, it was there's like a feeling like um like a, a tingle, a glow that, that moves throughout my body, and it's almost like mars or aries is in the back of my head like cheering like he arrives and says good there's a there's like a conceptual like experience and there is a physical experience that says like okay i did it right amazing um that's I know fantastic you, i know you work with um music a lot have you exper experimented with a musical material like this uh not to that extent uh i have done I have had I have both created and ha and commissioned music to be created for specific um, ceremonies. I would say that it's my approach to music has always been. Um, I'm a control freak, <laughs> and and that's you know, I I do all my own editing. All the music on the podcast is stuff that I've made, you know, and I've I've carried that over. But this collaboration you and I are having, I think, is is brilliant. This is one of my favorite aspects of of anything. So I like to invite people into my space that I have sort of selected based on their merits and the things that I've seen or a recommendation that has been kind of confirmed by, uh, you know, um, like, you know, Alison Tchaikovsky put me onto your work and immediately I was like, God, I have to talk to this guy um, because I, I love your approach to music. You uh, have a brilliance for music theory that I do not possess. I went to school for music theory as well, but I, I dropped out to uh, to go on tour for a little while. But um, so my my the way that I approach music is very much so um, I have an idea and if I trust you, I'm going to ask you to come in and then we're just going to, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, it's like this whole idea behind Enochian chess. You know, there is when you, when you play Enochian chess, uh, you know, made by the golden dawn for anybody who, who isn't familiar with that, you can, I think you can pretty easily find some information on it on the internet or either uh, the black brick, the golden dawn. But, um, there is you set up the board and there's this sort of invocation 
uh you know and you're one of the interesting things is that like you the entire setup of the game with all its rules and all its 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 sort of um its own kind of like mathematical algorithm you're still allowing chance to participate in this 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 project you know as a matter of fact it wouldn't be magic without that random i don't want to say chaos but i want to say you know the, the randomness and and for me i've tried to mirror my own experience of life which is that there is definitely a deterministic component but there is also chance free will so that's more my my experience with with that stuff but i will definitely say that you know when you are tuned in to an intention and a particular energy sort of tuned into that frequency i i will say that um i've had experiences like the one you're describing i think that you you're describing it in a way that makes me like excited it's very poetic i love it i think that's a brilliant thing like aries in the back of your mind cheering like you found it you know like a eureka moment for for them that is uh, that's excellent. It's one of the co more cool things I've heard about uh, from people who uh, who experiment with music and magic. I think you'd actually have a great conversation with uh, Rudolf Berger. Do you know Rudolf? He's the host of Thoth Hermes podcast. Uh, I do not. Yes. No, I, I actually just spoke to him last night um, and he is super into sound as like sort of the spiritual component and he's been doing theater and music for for you know um, many decades so he just he he'll he'll usually um he'll usually have somebody's piece of music that does magic and 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 is is more like i would say that your stuff is composed orchestrally which i love he, he's a big proponent of that on his show so i think i'm gonna pass your music along to him if you don't mind please do i appreciate that thank you yeah yeah um, yeah, and, and you talking about um, your general process and inviting in chance um, in, a, in a little bit here, I'll have to, uh, to share my, my cosmogonic composition process, which is, yes, that's pretty much my main thing. That is, that is my, um, that is my purpose. My purpose is to um, bring that back to people. But I use chance, like I'll bind the parts of a, of a project to, um, to tarot cards, and then I'll work on whatever I I draw, um, so I'll use that to draw my attention. But anyway, um, these these pieces. Um, so so I I consecrated some musical materials, and then I thought I would um, use those musical materials and pieces free to the planets. And this is my second opus, which is still undergoing. Um, I've completed the sun and the moon parts for it. Uh, the um, the experience of making these were were both uh, really interesting. Um, the sun was just brutal, like onslaught ideas were there. They kept coming. It's go, 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 put it down. Like no, no second thoughts, just like instant success, um, and, and, and energy. Um, and I was, I was really, that was the first one I did. And I was really excited about how it, it seemed to kind of function like a spell, like in a sense, and, and it's, and it's energizing faculties. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to, um, to evoke the sun, to, to bring the sun to you. And then you can, you know, do whatever you want with the sun or, or let the sun do whatever it does with whatever you want done. Um, 
Now, the, the moon one was was definitely very interesting. Before I even thought um, to do these planetary opuses, uh, one evening I wanted to channel Hecate. Now, I don't... Um, wow. <laughs> I thought I'd have some fun. Yeah. I don't normally mess with um, uh, actual like raw materials. Uh, honestly, the gods just don't leave me alone as far as I'm concerned. They they show up when they want. And also my, my cosmogonic composition process, that is essentially a spell that involves all these gods. So they're pretty much constantly present. But I, I thought I'd do it on the classical style with Hecate. So around 11 p.m., I, I can't remember what I used. It was garlic and it was like some minced garlic out of the fridge too. Um, some kind of oil and I think something else and I buried them um, outside of my home. Mm. So nothing was happening. You know, it was around two in the morning. I was kind of working on stuff. And that's when she showed up and it was, it was intense. I've never had, um, I've never had a, a strong of a character-based experience. Like imagine, imagine, in your mind, there's just this black area, like a like a stage, mm-hmm. like that's there while you're looking at everything and doing everything. Um, she showed up there, and she was very vivid and very intense. She constantly shifted between uh, three forms. There was a very um, seductive, um, like kind of regal maiden queen. Um, mm-hmm. There was this like really gnarly looking old woman who um she looked kind of similar to the witch in snow white um, <laughs> yeah i know and, exactly what you're talking about and and the ways that um that these these gods are presenting themselves to me i don't think that this is the way they all are but it's using um things that i know you know the, right it's um talking to me in a, in a language i understand yeah um, i like to, i like to call that uh using your available imagery <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah, uh, to, to tangent for a second, a big thing for me, you know, when, um, when people ask me if I'm a pagan or like how I approach polytheism, um, really, I think that there's a one and that um, this one is as interested in reaching out to us as we are to it. And it comes to us um, however we're able to to receive it. So uh, you know, if we speak, you know, like God speaks to some people in Hebrew and to some in Greek and some in English. But um, even beyond that, you know, I think when um, I, I don't think Hecate was around at the beginning of, of the cosmos, but I think once somebody reached out to the divine, um, expecting Hecate, that the divine met them in the, the close of Hecate. And in that meeting, Hecate was born and is now an entity running around. Mm. Um uh, but yeah, I, that's like an emanational panentheism sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah, no, but, I mean, th- to be honest with you, that's a really good way to sum up also the, the way I see it as well. I think that you have a very good way of, you've clearly, you've clearly very, uh, you've thought about these things, which is excellent. You know, like it, it's because it's, you know, you can explain them very well. I, I do try. Thank you. Um, oh, and to, uh, to, to go back to, to Hecate's visit here. Um, her third form was like this, this like fucked up beast, excuse my language. No, it's fine. 
it was just this this monstrous thing that's hard to like distinguish uh like it's 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 features kept shifting and like at one point it like vomited up this sack that was still like connected to it that had all these like tumorous like masses just pulsing um and and when i recoiled at that i think hecate thought that was kind of funny and then would just do that every now and then to to spook me and, and that was an interesting thing about the relationship is she was um she was kind of teasing me uh, a lot um you know like she would uh she kind of like lure me in with the, the the seductive like maiden and then suddenly like jump in my face with the hag or you know once learning that the monster freaked me out just vomit that but uh anyway I was taken um, taken on a little journey, and I thought that this was going to be for um, Hecate music I'd be writing. Uh, it, it started out, and this was a very like, um, you know, I was just in my living room, but the experience was that that I had in my mind was so vivid. I, I feel like I was living that more than I was living in my living room. Um, it started out. I was in a really uh, a really dark, misty, um, crowded uh, wood. Um, I'm, I'm walking along and there are all these, these bugs and sounds, uh, going on around me, all these, this life around me that's, that's unsettling me and scaring me. Um, I finally break through the brush into a, an, into an open clearing and, um, it's like a glade. There's, um, a small, um, a small body of water in the center that is still, and it is reflecting the moon from above. I walk to the body of water and I look down into it and I see myself and then I go face first into the water and I am floating in. It's like, it's, 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 it, it was basically like space, like mixed space and like infinite water. I was just floating in water. Um, and then she left and I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I, I tried to make some Hecate music, but I kept getting the feeling like I wasn't ready. So fast forward a little bit and I've made my sun piece and I go to make my moon piece and I want it to be something that's like emotional uh, and this little enchanting. Um, you know, I, I want to make it something that makes people, I, I want to make it something that's kind of healing, like a little soothing. Um, and I think back to the, the, the journey that Hecate took me on and I realized that's my structure. That's my moon piece. She was giving me the, the moon piece. Um, and and it i i had um for I, I planned out every um every um one of the the planetary pieces um, i planned out the structure like they all have a three act uh, structure mm. um and this was three acts it, it fit perfectly now after i had composed it uh I not just composed it i finished it like you know mastered mixed um i was going to like right after i finished i was going to listen to it for the first time which is, you know, a wonderful feeling. That's always super exciting. Uh, and I looked at Facebook real quick, and I, I don't know if you know who Sarah Mastros is. Uh, she's, uh, yeah, she's... Sorry, I was, I was muted. Yeah, I do, yeah. No, she's, she's a wonderful person. Um, but there was just a, a simple post that said, go look at the moon. Uh, so I took my headphones, and I went outside, and um, much to my surprise, there was a blood moon. It was a big, fat, red moon. Um, and there were a bunch of people out in the parking lot of my apartment complex looking as well. Now, I had been struggling with something for a while. I um, 
I, I had been depressed. I, I think that's just the easiest way to put it. Um, a lot of people think being depressed is being sad, but really it's kind of being locked away from feelings. At least it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the, the ecstasy that I used to seek in music um, that, you know, always had lots of tears associated with it. I had been kind of cut off from that. I couldn't cry to music anymore. I hadn't at least in, in years and years. Um, and as soon as the music starts, and I'm looking at this blood moon, like tears, just like pour, like a dam broke. And I, I just danced and, and cried in the parking lot while a bunch of people probably wondered what the hell was going on. Um, but I, I, I felt her, like I saw her, she was silvery white, like long, long, long hair, like her eyes closed in peace. She had her hands out and she was just like pouring like this, like this, like sparkly starry water over me, just like washing me, like, like making me a a baby again. Um, And, and, and it worked. I, I have been able to cry to music since then. Um, I made a spell for myself. Um, Hecate gave me some of the tools and then Selene said like, here's, here you go. Uh, you know, and that's, I think that's something that's really interesting in that I, I didn't think about it until just now, but, you know, the two functions of music that I, I used to pursue, you know, the ecstatic and then the, um, the, uh, healing, I guess, health, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah. both of those were, were super present, um, um, in that moment. Um, it, but yeah, yeah, that was, that was such on an incredible experience for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, 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 it's interesting to me that she leaves you in this kind of like watery womb, almost, almost like the, you know, the womb of Nuit, the night sky, you know, the, the, the darkness of space to not only gestate there, but to accumulate the watery, you know, the, like we're saying the tears and the lunar and the emotional aspect and uh, sort of the, the inspiration of that little sliver of of silver sunlight that the moon deposits in the darkness of night it's uh it's it's very beautiful um and these are the experiences that are available to you know pe- practitioners of magic people like once you allow that once you allow that belief in you know that and 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 really to go searching for the experience like you did um uh is such a common um, it's such a common theme in people that I speak to on this podcast and otherwise just people I have met throughout the years in magic. It's always, you know, there's like a, there's a commonality there where it's like, I, you, and I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too close to Campbell here, I, uh, but, <laughs> but, but it, it, it is, it is pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. The, the fact that, you know, that tends to be this Genesis point. Um, this intense desire uh, that is expressed outwardly. Cause I think a lot of us keep that as some sort of unspoken hopelessness for a really long time. You know, we want to have these experiences. We want to believe, but it's, there's this, this uh, quietude that we allow ourselves to exist in that kind of, like you're saying, turns into this numbness to, to things. But, but when you, when you actively kind of allow that intention to be screamed to the universe, you know, and then you can begin invoking things um, and experiencing 
uh, you know, having the experiences and everyone's going to have them differently. It's not this cookie cutter thing, you know, but they'll have consonances. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing. And, and to, to, to allow your music to have essentially what is divine inspiration, you know, that, that highest aspect of the, the natural cosmos, um, you know, uh, that, that domain of creativity and of life growth, um, you know, decay that uh, Hecate embodies has now imprinted, you know, your sphere with, with something you have created and expressed. That's, that's like the highest form of religion to me. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and, and you were saying something, you said something about, um, you know, you've met so many people that, just have these like screaming outs for um for the connection and and you also talked about the the numbness that can occur without that connection um and and that's why you know part of the reason i made these musical materials is to try to um, engender accessibility like uh i i think that everybody can do this stuff and everyone should be able to and um you know people shouldn't require uh, a ton of money they shouldn't require like you know like 60 years of of dedicated like research you know research is good I, I like research and you know we we stand on the shoulders of giants uh and all that but um but but really i just want people to be able to do this stuff and if they if they don't have the means to to make their own means and let them know that's just as viable um and that's that's probably my one of my biggest forms of, of activism, I guess, in the broader esoteric community is any time I see people saying you can't do this and like like you're wrong. I uh, I like to go fight them because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to uh, think about the health of, of, of everyone that's involved. Um, you know, to me, that's what a good community leader does is they they care for the community. Um, so, so yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. Um, and there is, there is a lot of magic nowadays. These, the community it's, um, uh, it's great in a lot of ways. It's, it's great. The community itself is really great. And the available resources, the amount of serious erudition that is currently available on these things is something that's re relatively unprecedented. Absolutely. Um, but but there's still this kind of there's this snag on, you know, in the Internet. Uh, there always will be. There will always be some kind of uh, difficulty to, to navigate. Uh, uh, monkeys are always going to be monkeys, I think. Right. Way to put We're always going to have these natural like tendencies. There's always going to be tribalisms, uh, in groups, right. out groups. I think that's the main. Well, I'd say that's the main issue. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the groups that that are saying that you can't do i'm i'm a big proponent on you shouldn't but go ahead <laughs> you know if, if if there's certain things i think that uh you know I, I i for for safety's sake i think a lot of people maybe should take the it's kind of like music right like you learn you went to school for music and you now you're able to create these things and you don't need to go to school for music but for certain at a certain point there is an apprenticeship that's required you have to learn the basics and and it's it's not until you really have a firm foundation in the basics that you realize like oh this gives me the freedom to create on a completely different level like i can be a completely different musician 
that's actually not bound. I'm not bound to the notes on the page. They're they're helpful instruments. They're helpful, you know, uh, I, I can utilize them as a tool for my self-expression and, and things like this. But um, I think that there, that that's a period that that you know every every you know as like even as like a a tradesman, you know, somebody like myself apprenticing as a carpenter for for a year and a half you know i if i were to go and take on a, a massive project i honestly i probably wouldn't know whether to shit or go blind until i had my <laughs> apprenticeship under my belt and then i could basically be like yeah i'll bid you house <laughs> you know but but um no, but i think yeah right point but 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 i think yeah the the the, the thing is there's so many um like you're saying in groups that are vying for uh, the communal dialogue and it can get really easy to get lost as a newcomer to magic. Now it's like super easy to not even know where to begin. Right. Like maybe and like, you, and you might wind up with some Nazis if you weren't careful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's good to have people in the community, you know, like yourself um, that are, are doing taking that that responsibility on to like you know go and and parry a little bit you know i, I think a, we shouldn't be afraid to kind of draw the sword in in a way that is helpful you know in in defense really of people not not in offense oh always, always. <laughs> yeah. justice not a uh, revenge <laughs> right yeah that's a great it's a great point um so one thing that i did want to touch on is that um You've done some translation work, right? Yes. So that's um, that to me is is fascinating, especially uh, you translate um, Coin Greek. Is that, that's correct. Uh, I Attic, uh, mostly mostly Attic, I would say. Um, but okay. a lot of the texts that I do translate use like a kind of uh, blend of dialects. That's excellent. So you you did. Um, kind of dovetailing here with 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 your planetary opus um and and the piece that that we've played you you did some translation work on a, a small treatise on uh in the Alison Tchaikovsky I believe she kind of wrote a little bit of a uh, you know the spell and how to work with it and then um some commentary but you translated the the section of the PGM it was the uh the spell to Helios right mm mm-hmm. And so what, what got you into translation? I mean, do you have an education in it or? Uh, no, I, I taught myself to read ancient Greek um, at the theological seminary I mentioned earlier. They, uh, they let me have my own little desk that was constantly stacked with books. Um, but uh, that's great. I, I think the. So, OK, as a as a poet, I am I am also a poet and I do spend quite a bit of time with poetry. <laughs> Um, I know that if you want to understand a poem, you really got to approach it in its original language, or you at least need to have its original language on hand uh, to reference while you're reading a translation. Um, because a lot of nuances can get lost. Um, I mean, I can't remember the the inciting incident, but I do remember a couple times being seriously like upset when I realized that someone took some liberties that altered, um, you know, the symbols that were actually being expressed in a text. Uh, and, and the way that I work with a lot of these cosmogenies and, and hymns, you know, those are the things that I'm mostly interested in basically anything that, uh, 
seems like it's using this um this uh cosmic um this, this demiurgic uh paradigm i guess um uh every every term is important the order of terms are important um just uh, the, these things are are critical, um, you know, and it, sometimes a translation might uh, translate the, the same term differently in two places and you won't know that that it's happening um, twice and, and all these things are important. Um, so I got into translation first because I just wanted to know, like, I want to know what's going on here. Um, and I also knew that um, while English has like a, it, has a, it has so many words. You have so many words that can mean so many specific things. If you want to pinpoint one thing, you can you can do it in English. Um, but in the ancient world, um, there was a necessary uh, economy of of terms. You know, people didn't have dictionaries uh, hanging around. There were there was a smaller vocabulary, but these words um, were used um, in more ways. You know, like uh, I'm trying to think of a good one. I mean. Uh, like to uh, tell us has like about 10 different uses. Um, so, so these original words have all these meanings um, and, you know, uh, polysemy or, you know, like a double entendre would be an example of polysemy. Um, polysemy is the poet's bread and butter. Like that's what we do. We try to say the most with the least. Um, so, so being able to, uh, see what the original term was, I have so many more nuances of, of meaning, um, so many more shades of, of understanding uh, that can be carried by the words. Uh, so, so really, yeah, I just wanted to be able to, to understand what was, what was going on and the translations that I do. Um, I, I do really appreciate people who do pretty translations, who try to bring something into English and they add artistry to it. They take a few liberties. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but when it comes to analysis, like serious research, it doesn't cut it. Um, so the translations I make, I try to stick to the text as much as possible. I do everything I can. Like I, I preserve word order. I preserve the actual terms being used. I don't interject anything. I don't cut anything out. Um, I just want to make something that is as clear an English representation of what originally happened. And um, that's also why in my translations, you know, words that do have um, these polysemic uh, potentials, um, I will list them in like at the, in the footnotes. So you can, so you can see uh, really my goal in translation is to bring um, people as close to the Greek as possible without reading it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a really useful thing to actually have to have the different shades of of translation as as footnotes and stuff actually there's um there's there's something called the parallel bible that i use um occasionally it's 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 called parallel amplified so essentially you have king james on one side and then you have um a, a more modern uh, academic translation like side by side and then what they'll do is they'll it won't just be so on, on the on the, the the more right because this all this stuff the uh, particularly the New Testament was all written in Greek as well. Um, so uh, the and I use I use Greeks uh, or Strong's Greek Concordance the, the lexicon as well to kind of comb these things occasionally. But they it's it's basically the King James on one side and then this amplified version a modern translation that doesn't give just one translation of 
of a sentence or a word that can be translated three or four different ways. It gives the actual multiple different ways that it could be translated. I find that extremely helpful. Um, and again, it, right, it it allows for this kind of intuitive interpretation of what is essentially scripture, you know, I mean, and I think, I think that having that option for you to be, it's, it's, it's kind of the same way a piece in music can, can, can be translated uh, or interpreted or um, grafted into the, the person for different reasons at different stages in their life and stuff like that. But so you, you also do work on the, the, the Orphic hymns, correct? Or the Homeric hymns? Oh, I, I, I'm messing with a Homeric hymn right now, but I do work with but Orpheus and Orphic text. Um, that's my that's my main focus. Um, I feel like um, Orpheus, what whoever he or they were, um, um, they, they were most interested in the cosmogony I'm after, which is the poetic, the the creative. Um, cosmogony um to, to say real quick though if i can backpedal you were you Please. were talking about the the bible and i thought of a great example for being able to engage something in its original uh, terminology because i have gone through genesis 1 in the hebrew my, my hebrew is definitely not as good as my greek um but i have a i have a general um i mean i have i have a linguistics knowledge and i have my own little translation system so give me any language and i'll be able to to figure it out with a little bit of effort um but in um so in genesis 1 um okay so a lot of hebrew uh roots they they have things called triconsonantal roots where it's three consonants and you get all these different words by putting different vowel sounds between them um there are exactly six in genesis 1 um that are used as a noun and a verb each one of them is used as a noun and a verb there's seed and so there's herb and i think it's i think it's grow um i'm i'm, I'm on the spot I'm, I'm killing myself here there's a third one <laughs> there's a third one that is that is plant oriented um then there are um things that swarm and they're swarming there's things that creep and there's creeping um and there's things that fly and um there's there's flying um so what do you get when you take these these six words that are expressed in two ways you um the um you, you get a little uh, a little table you've got um you've got a column of your three um sorry you have a column of your three little uh vegetable ones and you have a column of your three little animal ones um which itself superimposes over the six days of genesis one themselves considering they make columns themselves wow um and each one is expressed in two ways um what happens when we multiply six by two we get 12. <laughs> um, and um and and what is the the zodiac if not something that is uh divided into two three four and and, and six you can right. uh, you know you don't see the, the four there but i could i could show you but basically what i'm saying is um by engaging genesis one like with hebrew in mind i was able to find a pattern just in the in these six terms that sort of also represent the the whole like the the um kind of the entirety of it it's like an additional key i call them i call them structures um yeah. 
but uh but yeah that's that's neat stuff and that's what i'm excited about that's i'm, I'm looking at puzzles i want yeah. to be able to engage puzzles uh yeah and and it's it that's it's so important too because you, you've got a mind that's really great with systems just from you know some of the the, the previous things that you and i have spoken about um uh sort of off camera i guess uh but um you also have the in the intuitive ability to make sense of this stuff and not get lost uh, because of the musical training. And I, I don't even say it, it's probably not because of the musical training. If anything, the musical aspect I think is a part of, it's an expression of our inherent personas. So, you, you know, you've got that piece in there too. And, and that's really important in being able to parse spiritual texts, particularly in Greek and Hebrew, because they, they all did the same thing. Cause a lot of people don't understand about, I, I don't, I don't speak ancient greek but i speak modern greek and even even still there's more room in the syntax for really poetics right is that and and what is poetics if it's not the making space for inspiration which is randomness because you never know what's going to come through right that's the brilliant thing about about uh about inspiration you don't know what what's going to what's going to come through but it, it, i i do know what you're talking about in I've I've approached the uh, like the Sefer Yetzirah in a similar capacity, which is great because it's a Kabbalistic documents, so it's definitely going to have that that flavor. But uh, um, I think that the three when when talking about God creating the universe from the Hebrew alphabet, you know, and and in each one of those, which again ties exactly into what we're talking about, right? Because uh you know in the the judeo-christian conception god says let there be light so he's he's creating with words and letters and things like that but they use the the, the that that triconsonant root for sefer sephor and sipur so it's uh i believe it's um samek pe resh but uh and 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 each three of those means writing number and speech so it's, it, you know, it, there's so many different ways to interpret it. If you were just pointing at, if you were just pointing at one, you'd say, oh, well, it's, it's not, it's, it's speech. But you, you, you would, you know, you wouldn't have the idea of number and, and writing in there. And that's like super important, particularly when parsing like these texts that we're talking about, biblical Hebrew, because the Hebrew numbers had ideas and, or the Hebrew letters had ideas and numbers associated with them, which is, it's, it's really cool. And, and it, because it ties into this occult philosophy of, of speech, of, of writing, you know, some people think to themselves, you know, like, oh yeah, magic is BS because what's, what's the big deal? You, you drew a triangle on a piece of paper. It's like, well, according to this, it's a pretty triangle, it's a beautiful triangle <laughs> and it's, it's bright green on a red background. So. <laughs> But but there's this idea that like no these things all have potency because they're all expressions of God. But um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that we can talk about stuff like that. That's very uh, you know that tends to be something people modern people get tripped up on. So I I wanted to I have a canned question that I ask everybody. And now typically I ask everyone based on the stuff we've spoken about today over our 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 uh, little sliver of time you've given me very graciously what would you recommend in terms of three books that people could uh could learn more about the things we've spoken about now here's the thing 
I think I think I want to also incorporate for you um artists or piece of piece of music. What what you know, maybe uh creative artists, they could be visual, they could be sound artists. And please feel free to recommend some of your own work. <laughs> That's <laughs> mm. This is this is rough. Mm, it's a spot question. I give it to everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let me let me think here. Um, I mean, yeah, my music is is, is good. <laughs> you just have to <laughs> check that out. <laughs> um, it is. It is. Good. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, I, my my first opus um, is a is a sort of love letter to the zodiac, but it also features. Um, the the components the main cosmic components um that that make up the the zodiac that we see in like the sephir yetzerah and, and a lot of other things but I, I think i would probably have to try to pick some texts um some texts that i think would be a great place to start mm -hmm. and i've been having a time with the homeric hymn to hermes uh the past the past week or two it is like uh, Hermes is, is taking me on a ride here. Um, it's got it's got so much I've been looking for, so much I'm aware of. It's it's playing out the cosmic paradigm. There there are um, uh, solar cycles. Um, you you get there's there's I don't want to spoil anything, um, but I would say that's one of them. Um, I would say. Uh, Genesis one is is another just because there's so much in it uh, and um, it's a self-contained text. You know how um, like because um, Genesis um, two Genesis two, three or two, four, when the second creation story with Adam starts. Right. Exactly. A lot of people aren't aware of that. These there are two completely different creation stories. Yeah, exactly. This first one's like it's a little like thesis statement, but it's, it's self-contained. And that's that's what I, I think people need to engage with is, you know, like a, a, a text where they can look at it um, only as a thing in itself. Like, don't worry about anything else. Um, if this mm -hmm. if this is a solvable puzzle then um the author made it to be solved you just have to be smart um so so we've got homeric hymn to hermes uh genesis one and then i would say um i call it the orphic great hymn to zeus um it's a 32 line poem uh that we have um because of so uh aristotle um mentions it um uh I can't remember the name. There's um, there's another uh, there's another guy. His name starts with an E. Uh, he was kind of a, a a pagan detractor. He talks about it, and also Proclus um, okay. uh, mentions it. So they're 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 kind of so. Is I'm assuming that's what we're talking about mainly here is in the Platonic tradition. Um, that's that's where we ended up um, getting it, but. Um, it's really the thing with Orphic stuff is it's so it's so it's so hard to get uh, authentic text because this stuff yeah. is is older, um, and a lot of the stuff you read like the Orphic hymns that that's a, a later thing that's like first or second century A.D. Um, and you know there's all this stuff about the Orphic rhapsodies and, and Dionysus getting dismembered. Um, I think a lot of those are uh, Neoplatonic inventions. I think the Neoplatonists love what they what they found, but they also did what they wanted with it. Mm -hmm. um, and they weren't afraid to to add things on. I mean, like the Chaldean oracles are not Chaldean. 
like right no not at all not especially not in the way we have them today we don't actually have the original we don't have the ones that they were talking about we have the ones that like they were quoting you know so it's like we don't have the actual called in oracles that they were using we have the things they wrote about the called in oracles you know so if they actually existed if they weren't just like you know kind of making stuff up together so right that, that can happen yeah um but um yeah i i would say that the the great hymn to zeus um jives most with uh the dervani papyrus which i think is the oldest uh, papyrus we have um it's a fairly recent discovery of um 26 columns of an orphic text and it is awesome it's fragmented to to all hell um half of every column has been burned up in a fire but it's that very wow. fire that um it created a chemical reaction that stopped uh the the text from being destroyed by time you know and it was sealed in a in a, um in a grave uh so yeah the, the great hymn to zeus i would say is is our our best complete sense of an older orphic idea um and and a lot of it jives really wonderfully with with genesis one um zeus is described described as a cosmic body um mm. it's it, there it's um you know there's a two-line coda at the end like every orphic hymn has where they you know just wrap it up but um 30 lines are split definitely into 10 um um or, or three 10 line sections mm. um that correspond like the first section is is very conceptual on the second section is just on the head of zeus but his head is the cosmos and like the sun and the moon are his, his eyes um, and then the third is very material, focused on his body and like the the swamps and the air. But you get um, a really classic thing um, of like the um, the conceptual, the celestial, and then the uh, material that we see in Agrippa. Um, yes, that we, that we see in the the structure of uh, Poimandres. Um, that's just just looking at these ten these these three uh, groups of ten lines just themselves shows this sort of uh, Venn diagram of the uh, the conceptual material coming together so so yeah i would say that that is an is an excellent excellent place to go additionally because the um, you know the the things in seferiets are i call it the esoteric alphabet and like hebrew is literally an alphabet but when i talk about you know the zodiac and the elements and the planets these are the that's the alphabet yes. we, we kind of work with um and i would say that the homeric hymn to hermes genesis one and the um orphic great hymn to zeus are all excellent um self-contained resources of that, that have um this alphabet kind of encoded in them if you're if you're clever enough to piece things together right and a lot of cosmogony there that's uh so for for uh for anyone listening is is there anything else you've got going on that you want to uh just mention or anywhere that you want to direct them to check more of your stuff out okay um so my fiance and I, we, we do run an esoteric arts business that's on a little bit of a hiatus right now. Um, it's called The Shining Liar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should get back up and running in, in a month or two. You can find it at theshiningliar.com. Uh, if you'd like to listen to my music, you can find most of it at soundcloud.com slash ccomposition. Um, you can also find um, my first opus and bits of the second opus of sun and moon um on the shining liars Bandcamp. just go to Bandcamp and search for the shining liar uh 
And yeah, and I will say that on the Shining Layers website right now, you can find my translation of the uh, Orphic Great Hymn to Zeus. And um, you can find a blog I wrote uh, about some of the, the structures in Genesis 1. Oh, and uh, forgive me. Um, also, I'm working on a series of six esoteric exegesis courses, and I'm also yeah. on a on a handbook um, for them. I'm calling it um, uh, Hermes Handbook uh, of Esoteric Exegesis. So basically, I'm I, I built um, uh, a, a, a research system, uh, a system specifically designed for uh, mythical and magical texts, for kind of teasing out the um, the inner inner structure and really like the the system that each represents so i am i'm very uh, very embroiled in that in the moment awesome well Corey Childs, thank you so much man for coming on today and for talking with me this has been uh incredible fun for me um it's a real treat to get to talk music and magic and greek mythology and greek language you know there's so much i think that we have in common okay. so uh <laughs> I appreciate you, and uh, I hope to speak to you on this podcast again relatively soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs>